Welcome to Tech Central. Welcome to our brand new studio and welcome to a brand new technology show in South Africa. We call it TC Daily. We're, it's very much a news-focused technology show. We're going to be publishing Mondays through Thursdays. Hope you're going to join us. You can subscribe via Tech Central or on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash techcentral. And every show must start somewhere. And our very first guest on TC Daily, I'm very pleased to welcome the CEO of the crypto platform Revic, Sean Sanders, who's joined us all the way from Cape Town today, flew up for this interview. Sean, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's good to be in warm Johannesburg. It's lovely and warm, isn't it? Is it cold down in Cape Town at the moment? Yeah, I, I was saying this a little bit earlier. I feel like we are a month behind Johannesburg when it comes to weather. Uh, it feels like the economy in Cape Town is also a little bit slow in winter. All the tourists and foreigners are gone. Right. So I'm looking forward to, to getting a bit of energy back. Yeah, it always takes about a month for it to, later to warm up down in, yeah. down in Cape Town. But yeah, welcome to Joburg Sunshine and uh, keen to catch up on everything that's been going on in the crypto market. And um, despite the crypto winter that we have been going through this year, uh, there's actually still a heck of a lot going on and lots to talk about today. Uh, but before we get to, to some of the global trends and what's happening in regulation, et cetera, et cetera, tell me a bit about what's happening at Revix. How big is the team now and uh, what are you guys up to? So things have definitely not slowed down in the world of Revix. Uh, we are 47 people in total. Mm -hmm. We are hiring quite aggressively. Uh, we're actually in the process now of expanding internationally. So we are positioning ourselves in the UAE. So we are oh, yeah. busy applying for a license, a crypto license in Abu Dhabi. That should allow us to target the rest of the world. So most of our customer base are South African. So very exciting about, or very exciting to, to sort of see these developments occur. Uh, we're also working with another financial services provider in South Africa to offer traditional securities on the Revix platform. So come this time next year, roughly around September, uh, perhaps even a little sooner, we'll be able to offer traditional investments. So not just cryptocurrency products. So, you know, when you introed uh, sort of Revix, yeah. uh, you spoke about the crypto platform. Yeah. And I hope that uh, in six to 12 months time, we're going to be known as more of sort of that personal wealth management platform in South Africa. So what sort of securities will you be offering? So uh, they listed AMCs, actively managed certificates, uh, that allow you to invest in emerging themes or categories. Uh, one of the themes will include, say, AI, biotech, 5G technology, renewable energy, uh, socially responsible investing more broadly. It also gets into weird and wonderful areas like space exploration, genomics, uh, clean water, these sorts of exciting areas. Interesting. What prompted you? What prompted the shift? Uh, which was always part of our roadmap. I mean, it? Revix okay. actually stands for Revolutionary Investment Experience. Mm -hmm. So it's not re really meant to just be a crypto investment experience. I mean, we've started out uh, really making crypto investing a lot more accessible through our crypto bundles. Uh, so you can invest in a basket, sort of like an ETF-like approach to yes. investing yes. Um, within the crypto space. And the idea was always to sort of have that same approach across different asset categories. So we actually want to get into alternative investments as well. Um, this won't necessarily be in 2023, but in 2024, we want to make investing in, say, venture capital, real estate, private equity, all these sort of uh, alternative asset categories just a lot more accessible. Interesting. And what about traditional securities like equities, for example? Is that something you'd look at in the future? I feel like it's a crowded space. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at any stockbroker in South Africa, I mean, that's their bread and butter. Sure. So we're trying to go in the, the other direction there. Areas that, that perhaps don't have as much attention or as many competitors. Exactly, and have yeah. more marketability. I think it's quite hard to talk to a retail investor, which is predominantly our audience, uh, and to talk about, uh, let's say, the Satrix top 40. Mm. Um, I mean, that, what is that to an average person, right? Yeah. If you say, hey, listen, you're getting the 40 biggest companies uh, on a stock exchange, maybe a different sort of story. But I think if you're looking at today's investors, um, a younger generation of investors, that is, and certainly retail investors, because that's our niche, not really institutional investors, sure. you're then looking at people... Uh, that are value investors and not value in the sense of buying low and then selling high later on or buying something that is well-priced, but rather actually investing in things that align with their interests and their values. Mm. 
Excellent. Okay, well, you're, you're still mainly a crypto-focused uh, uh, platform for now, so let's 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 talk crypto. Um, uh, as I mentioned, we've we've, come, we've been coming through a bit of a bear market. I think some people are suggesting that maybe this bear market is now coming to an end. It seems to be forming some sort of flaw, and uh, maybe you've got a view on that. But um, uh, it's been a it's been a tough few months. Um, Bitcoin is uh, around twenty thousand dollars from its peak last year of nearly seventy thousand uh, dollars. How have these bear market conditions impacted the cryptocurrency market in South Africa and specifically Revix? So generally, I mean, I'm not going to just look at the South African market broadly sure. uh, across the globe. You've seen trading volumes come down about ninety percent. I don't have the statistic around headline numbers, but I can assure you. I mean, for anyone that's watching this or listening to this, mm. I mean, how many headlines have you seen in the crypto space or about the crypto space over the last while? Probably not too many. And I think that's what happens in bear markets, mm -hmm. right? It's like anything. You just hear everything is now doom and gloom with the crypto markets sort of put into the draw. You're not going to look at it right now. And then when the market starts boiling up again, obviously everyone comes running in. Yes. But there's a lot going on behind the scenes. You've got Ethereum's upgrade that's busy uh, sort of being finalized uh, within the next, say, 10 days. That's we're going to talk about it in some detail just now. Um, you've got Cardano's hard fork. Uh, which is happening now as well. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a huge, a huge upgrade uh, within the Cardano ecosystem. Uh, you've had a lot of big players within the space. I mean, you've had BlackRock enter the crypto space. And I mean, maybe just to actually take a step back here as well. So while we as Revix are moving into the sort of more traditional security space, we don't want to leave our crypto roots. I mean, we are crypto first platform. Mm -hmm. uh, we actually think that having sort of the cryptonomics behind what we do. So having the token-based approach to, let's say, if you're wanting to invest in an alternative investment, perhaps having that alternative investment hold as a security token potentially on a blockchain is a superior route than having a traditional security that you have, which is currently not listed anywhere, um, not sitting on a blockchain, not easily transferable. Mm. Uh, so that's the approach that we want to take over the long term. Um, so there's a lot that we are busy building from a foundational standpoint uh, for this next bull market. So uh, during this period, what have you found? I mean, you, you said you're mainly focused on, on retail investors. Um, as the markets came off earlier this year, uh, did you find a, a lot of those retail investors were, were looking to get out of the market or do you, were you finding they, they were just holding on, perhaps not trading as much as they were before? So you can monitor trade flows uh, on chain. So you can actually look at various blockchains and just see how much is moving from uh, some of the big exchanges and all the rest. Uh, retail investors have pulled money from markets, right? I mean, mm. without a doubt. Mm -hmm. uh, Revix, we're very lucky. We focus more on sort of an investor group rather than a trading group. Right. Uh, we've actually seen the lowest churn numbers ever. I mean, our customers have been very sticky. Uh, you can call them, I guess, coming back to some crypto jargon here, hodlers. Uh, they've mm -hmm. been hodling through this period. Uh, we've actually continued to see net inflows be positive on the platform. Um, I also think this is a function of us being a relatively smaller player mm -hmm. uh, relative to some of the other bigger players globally. Uh, so we've still got a lot of market share to capture, and that's exactly what we're planning to do, and we'll continue to do that. When you say low churn, what sort of percentages are we looking at? Less than 1% a month. 1% a month? Yeah. Wow. So one out of every, less than one out of every 100 customers are leaving that's and withdrawing their full balance. Yeah, That's astonishing. So they, they're holding on. So the retail, it, that suggests that South African crypto retail investors anyway are, are pretty bullish long-term about the prospects for, for crypto prices. Yeah, I think there's also this loss aversion aspect. So mm -hmm. you've got uh, investors that potentially have come in perhaps towards the end of last year. Uh, they've invested whatever amount and now they're sitting in the red. 
they don't particularly want to sell out that investment. Right. They want to rather just sort of wait until it goes back and they make some sort of a gain. I think that is a big part of it. I wish to, I wish it was a case of our platform was just absolutely brilliant, which <laughs> I think it is, but uh, it's probably a lot more around as well, sort of that loss yeah. aversion aspect. Now, we've seen institutional investors getting involved in the crypto market, particularly in the U.S., uh, are we seeing any appetite amongst local institutions? Uh, is that happening at all? So between January and March, we at Revix got more institutional interest because interestingly, our crypto bundles are sort of the perfect product for institutions. Mm. Um, if you are a pension fund or you're an IFA, an independent financial advisor, and you're wanting to get crypto exposure for your customers or your clients, uh, getting a bundle which gives you exposure to a sector within the crypto space like the DeFi sector or the smart contract sector, these are some of the products we offer, or alternatively um, a good portion of the market, right? So if you mm. invest in the top 10 bundle, you get exposure to the top 10 largest cryptocurrencies, uh, you own about 76% of the crypto market solely by buying this bundle. So we got a lot of interest and more interest than we've got in the last four years of operating. So that was fantastic to see. Um, the, what happened though is as soon as we got to the point of sort of signing agreements and mm -hmm. actually seeing customer funds flow and commitments and all the rest, you had a lot of investors go, whoa, there's no regulatory framework in South Africa. We aren't sure whether or not this is putting our licenses at risk. And that was the point that it almost uh, just across the board um, stopped uh, institutional investors getting involved. Um, having said that, though, I do know that there's a lot of big banks within South Africa, three of the, the four major banks that are actively looking at introducing crypto capabilities. So this is custody, trading, um, lending, uh, which is very interesting. I don't foresee us off, uh, seeing the big banks at least offer any sort of crypto service in the near term but there's some very interesting discussions happening behind the scenes there. Interesting. So do you think that uh, pending an improvement in the regulatory framework in South Africa that we'll see a big move by institutional investors into the space locally? I think clarity, yes. Okay. As soon as you've got clarity from a regulatory authority, um, the Saab or the FSB, right. I mean, there is going to be hopefully, or the FSCA, should I say, there should mm. be a, a pretty big move in the space. Well, we're going to talk about some of the regulatory stuff that's coming down coming down the, the road in terms of uh, uh, what, what the Reserve Bank is doing and uh, SARS, etc. But we'll get to that in a moment. I want to talk about some of the big things that are happening in crypto worldwide right now. And we're just literally days away in theory, uh, from this uh, event called The Merge happening on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, let's go back to brass tacks here. What is The Merge? What is it going to do? <laughs> Why is it important? Uh, is it revolutionary? And what's it going to mean for the price of Ether? So this is the biggest event that has ever occurred in crypto, right? Let's just talk about what exactly this is. So everyone thinks about cryptocurrencies as being a way that you would transfer value around the world, mm -hmm. uh, like money. Uh, but cryptocurrencies are a lot more than money. So Ethereum, when it was developed, was meant to be sort of this, this blockchain that allowed you to build applications on top of it, uh, sort of like a mobile app operating system, right? You can build applications on top of this operating system. They can all interact with each other. And Ethereum has been uh, utilizing a consensus. I'm, I'm looking at trying to not bring in too many um, uh, jargon-based words here, but uh, it uses a consensus algorithm, mm -hmm. uh, which is called proof-of-work currently, which is right. the same as what Bitcoin uses. So this is the way that you verify transactions on a blockchain. And this is very energy-intensive, I believe. Very energy-intensive worldwide. And this has been uh, sort of a hot debate for quite some time. Like, is crypto environmentally... Uh, good or is it bad? Is there actually any value in this? Like, should this be um, sanctioned? Should you not be able to access cryptocurrencies because of the impact on the environment? Um, you also have the emergence, and this is a completely separate point, of sort of green Bitcoin. So this is mm -hmm. Bitcoin that's being mined utilizing uh, renewable energy sources like hydropower and all the rest. Like fascinating in Iceland, stuff. for example. Exactly mm -hmm. that. So fascinating stuff. With Ethereum's merge or the upgrade that's taking place right now, um, 
and just actually before I go down that rabbit hole, you've got to mm -hmm. think about cryptocurrencies and the blockchains that they have really as sort of software. Uh, you went from Windows 95 to 2000 to Vista to, I don't know, whatever came after that. So to seven mm. to where we are today. Mm. And it's exactly that same sort of process with cryptocurrencies, right? At the end of the day, these blockchain protocols are software and they get upgraded. And that's exactly what's happening now with Ethereum. So the merge, coming back to this point, and it's a, it's a long way to sort of answer this, it is essentially a change in the consensus mechanism within the Ethereum protocol to utilize proof of stake rather than proof of work. Now, proof of stake essentially allows you to take your Ethereum if you happen to set up a validation node. So instead of you having a warehouse full of uh, ASICs or uh, essentially processing cards to, right. to process transactions, utilizing tons of electricity, you are able to take some of your Ethereum, stake it in a node. So you essentially put up the Ethereum that you have as collateral. Mm. And by putting that Ethereum up as collateral, you can guarantee that a transaction that's being approved on the blockchain is in fact a valid transaction. If it wasn't a valid transaction, your staked Ethereum could be taken away. So it's a sort of behavioral uh, sort of structure that is being implemented. And it's just economically uh, better for the network mm. in the sense, and that's a hot debate actually as well in and of itself, but it's better for the environment because it uses 99% less uh, of the en less energy than what the Bitcoin blockchain uses. And there is a sort of deflationary impact that starts being implemented as well. Um, Ethereum currently has about a 4.2% inflation rate. Uh, if you think about gold, it's got about a 2% inflation rate. Uh, if you think about the US economy, you think about South Africa, the inflation rate is obviously considerably higher. So this uh, consensus mechanism change all of a sudden makes uh, Ethereum at least moderately inflationary and even def deflationary, which is quite interesting. Fascinating. Uh, I know that, um, well, let me, let me ask you this question next. Uh, this is a very technically complex change that's being made to the Ethereum blockchain. And I'm sure there are they're, they're people in favor of it and against it. And I've, I've, I think I've read that there could be a, a forking or a splitting of the Ethereum blockchain as a result of this. Um, could it go wrong? And if it does go wrong, what is that going to mean for crypto? It can go wrong. I mean, this is software. Mm. Uh, <laughs> software is the funniest thing, right? And I know this having built uh, Revix over the last four years. You think something's perfect and there's something there that you need to address. Um, and that's why you spend so much time testing. It's actually one of the reasons we spend now seven months this year testing our mobile app before it came out. Right. Uh, Ethereum's actually been doing testing for a very long time, yeah. uh, north of two years, actually looking at exactly how you can essentially have this merge take place without the network going down or without uh, certain participants being impacted. And this has been delayed several times. Actually. This has been delayed several times. Mm -hmm. There's a running joke sort of within the crypto community uh, that Ethereum is notorious for sort of having these slip ups and mm -hmm. um, for a merge not to go ahead. But this is the closest we've got to this merge occurring. Uh, probability is definitely pointing that it will occur. Uh, if you look at the, the uh, staked ETH market, so this is actually where you can go and stake ETH on Lido uh, or one of these decentralized finance protocols. And I don't want to get into the, the detail of this too much. And if this is all just jargon, I apologize. <laughs> but you can actually go and see that there's roughly at this point in time a 4% probability that there'll be some sort of a mess up in this merge based on sort of market conditions. Um, that's just based on the difference in Ethereum's price re relative to staked ETH's price. Interesting. Are there online bets going on about whether this There's is online happen? bets as well, <laughs> without a doubt. I think if you speak to some Bitcoin maxis, uh, the maximalists, uh, they definitely are just waiting, eating popcorn, waiting for something to happen. Right, yeah. right. Okay. So let's assume that it all goes well and that this merge happens in mid-September. What is it going to mean for Ethereum? What's it going to mean for the price of Ether? Ether has been outperforming Bitcoin over the last month or so. I think it's it's probably up 50% relative to, to Bitcoin over the last 30 days, very roughly. Um, will that continue? Do you think the value of Ethereum is going to continue to rise? 
Oof, it's always hard talking about cryptos prices over the near term. Um, over the much longer term, yeah. I mean, I'm a firm believer, right? We've built Re uh, Revix. Revix is premised on the idea that the crypto market is a fraction of what it's going to be in the future. Mm -hmm. um, we never know what's going to happen over the short term. I wouldn't rush out and gamble or speculate on the price of Ethereum in one month's time or even one year's time. Um, you could very well see that the Ethereum price pulls down or mm -hmm. gets uh, pulled back quite heavily after the merge. And I think the reason that that could occur is that there's a sort of saying in crypto where it's sort of um, sort of sell the news by the rumor. Right. And the news would be that the Ethereum merge is now finalized. Oh, well, there's no more sort of excitement around this. Just sell Ethereum, move to the next. So thing. it might be priced in already. It might be priced in already. Mm. Um, having said that, I mean, this is not financial advice. I can't tell you what the future price of Ethereum is going to be. Of course. Um, the other side of this is that the merge does go ahead without any hiccups that provides a lot of credibility ready for the Ethereum uh, developers. Um, and this network starts moving along. And then the next sort of development in this network's history or in the uh, sort of upgrade, if you want to call it, will then be sharding. That'll be something over the next few years that'll be introduced. And that network improvement would actually make Ethereum far cheaper. And mm. I think that's when things get really interesting for the Ethereum network. Right, right. Um, what, is, uh, what does the merge mean for, for the um, speed of the Ethereum blockchain? Because I know there's been criticism that transactions across the Ethereum blockchain have been very slow and expensive. Is it going to resolve those problems or will this sharding thing fix it further down the line? Yeah, unfortunately, this upgrade now or this merge, mm. as the team is calling it, the Ethereum team is calling it, and the Ethereum community, I suppose, is yep. calling it, is more focused on the mechanism, the consensus protocol, really. Mm. Uh, it's not focused and the in energy intensiveness, I suppose, of the network. So you have a greener network, which I think is a net positive for Ethereum because you will have a whole bunch of investors and funds that have a mandate to invest in um, various investments that are I suppose, socially responsible. Mm -hmm. uh, so Bitcoin may not fall into that category because of the energy that gets yep. utilized in mining. So Ethereum all of a sudden does have that benefit. Um, but no, the, unfortunately, the cost of using the Ethereum network, that doesn't get altered. And also the speed of the Ethereum network doesn't get changed. That's the next upgrades that come thereafter. I see, I see. If this is successful, do you think there'll be a change to the Bitcoin blockchain? Do you think that given the high energy usage of, of, of the Bitcoin uh, the Bitcoin system, do you think that uh, uh, the Bitcoin developers, will, the community will have a look at what's happened on the Ethereum blockchain and say, hey guys, we need to do this as well? Is it possible? I think it's very unlikely. Mm -hmm. uh, the Bitcoin network is known as being robust. So right. while the network's only been around now 12, 12 and a bit years, uh, you do have a network that moves slightly slower, but at the same time is far more, dare I say, responsible and sort of calculated in the approach. Uh, there could be a hard fork that occurs uh, mm. with the Bitcoin network where there is sort of the staking version of Bitcoin. Right. Uh, that's very, very likely. I do think you are starting to see more and more green BTC or green Bitcoin um, being valued at a premium to non-green Bitcoin. So this is Bitcoin that is generated and validated as coming from um, mining facilities that do use renewable energy. Mm. And I think you could see that actually continue. Now, there's been rene renewed talk uh, on online about uh, this thing called the flippening, uh, which, uh, as I understand it, is, is, is some theoretical point where the value of Ethereum overtakes the value of Bitcoin, which has never happened before. Bitcoin has always been, correct me if I'm wrong, has always been the most valuable um, cryptocurrency by market cap. But there's talk that after the merge, the, there could be this flippening where Ether overtakes Bitcoin. Um, your thoughts on that? It happened, I mean, so Ethereum never overtook Bitcoin in terms yeah. of total market capitalization. They got pretty close in late 2017. Oh, did they? Okay. Uh, there was, uh, I, can't I can't remember the exact difference between the two networks values. But, I mean, we could possibly see that again. Um, I, 
and I'm always hesitant before I start speculating on the future of any crypto network sure. relative to another. I do think that Ethereum over the short term has a lot going for it and the network itself could gone, especially if this net, if this upgrade goes ahead without mm. any hitches, you could actually see this increased development of decentralized applications. I mean, mm-hmm. Ethereum is the outright winner when it comes to looking at the decentralized finance space, uh, the NFT space. I mean, Solana, Avalanche, some other cryptocurrencies are definitely playing catch up there and, and they're doing a good job. Um, but Ethereum's got such a market lead here that that groundswell just continues and continues. Mm-hmm. And it actually land, it could force the, the sort of network from a, at least a, a usage standpoint to actually start competing with Bitcoin. Is DeFi, in your view, the future of finance? Yes, I uh, wholeheartedly believe that. Uh, we currently live in a kind of combined world where you've got digital finance and then you've got analog finance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have all of this united in one giant system. Systems don't talk to each other very well. I think you've got compliance, which is a very big part of financial services. I mean, the crypto space has been, I guess, exempt from compliance in in some places for quite some time. That's changing rapidly, and it's, I think, for the best um, overall in the entire ecosystem. But I think a lot of that compliance is going to become technology. It's actually go on-chain, as they would say. And this means that when you are interacting with a financial application, you're not dealing necessarily just with a company. You are dealing with code and mm-hmm. you're dealing with smart contracts and potentially AI that comes into that as well. So I do think that DeFi is, is it's definitely the future, in my opinion, of, of finance. Um, I don't think you would need to go to a bank to take out a mortgage in the mm-hmm. future. I think you can sort of crowdfund your own loan in yeah. a sense. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just a matter of time for this ecosystem to grow. I mean, DeFi is a couple of years old. True. Um, and for an ecosystem to grow to being north of $200 billion in a couple of years' time is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. I want to talk, before we come back to South African regulation, I, I just want to talk a bit about crypto pricing. Um, I, I know you're, you're reluctant to talk about uh, or pr- pr- prognosticate on where you think pricing might be going, so I'm not going to ask you about that. But uh, crypto seems to have become very tied to the U.S. equity market, uh, particularly the, particularly this year, and particularly tied to, to uh, U.S. tech stocks. Uh, if U.S. tech stocks go up 5%, crypto seems to go up 15%, and vice versa. Um, it's... Some people have suggested that um, crypto would be counter-cyclical in an inflationary environment, that it would become a hedge against inflation and that, uh, and that um, you know, it, it wouldn't do what it's doing now. Uh, are you surprised at the way crypto is behaving right now? And do you think there's going to be a decoupling at some point in the future to the equity market? So it's a very good point that you brought up. So we've seen a correlation of roughly around 065 uh, over the course of this year okay. between the NASDAQ 100, so the tech-heavy NASDAQ, and the crypto market. So that's a very high correlation. Yeah. Um, statistically, over the long term, there is no correlation between the crypto market and uh, the, the, whether it be tech stocks or stocks mm. broadly. Um, the reason for that correlation, though, is interesting, right? I think personally, and this is also sort of what our investment team uh, at Revix believe, is that you've seen greater institutional involvement in crypto. So mm-hmm. professional traders that otherwise would have been in the tech space or been in the traditional stock market move into the crypto space. Mm. Uh, and that means that getting that professional money and smart money, if you want to call it, on board uh, within the crypto space does mean that there's a greater correlation between the two. I also don't think we can say just yet, right? Because while we've gone through this period and there's been a lot of correlation, I mean, you've seen the bond market go down, you've seen equities go down, real estate prices have gone down. Mm. Uh, gold hasn't exactly rallied, right? Gold's actually been pretty stagnant and also gone down a little bit. So there's a saying sort of when the market goes down, correlation is 10 to 1. And I think we've seen that over the last while. You've, you've seen a lot of the markets sort of move down together. Uh, you'll probably see a decoupling now across the board. 
um, over the coming years. I don't know if we're at the end of sort of this bear market. Um, I do believe just looking at historical uh, data and just how long prior bear markets lasted, I think we're more than halfway through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something at least exciting to look forward to. I think the other thing to think about is it's not really how an asset class is in the middle of the cycle, or even if we're in a later stage of the cycle, sure. it's how it emerges at the end. Mm-hmm. The crypto market is notorious for having sharp spikes and obviously sharp declines. And I think what you could witness in this crypto market, uh, should there be some drastic changes in the market, because there's a lot of doom and gloom out there. Yeah. Uh, people are very fearful. The world is coming to an end. I mean, we are, as humans, very drastic to say the very least, right? We like to um, exaggerate uh, everything, good and bad. And I think in the crypto space, it's that to the nth degree. Yeah. You, you see a lot of doom and gloom in the market. Uh, crypto has gone, governments are you know, banning it, regulators don't even care anymore. Uh, the entire <laughs> market's gone. But like, we're not even having the discussion anymore on whether or not the crypto market's going away really. Mm. Uh, the discussion today is actually where does it go from here? Or, mm. you know, which government gets involved next? Uh, is there regulations that are gonna be implemented? Two, three years ago, it was a case, and actually you can say this, uh, we dealt with a regulatory authority um, in a well-respected jurisdiction mm-hmm. that hadn't yet implemented crypto regulations just yet. And their words were to us, we were hoping that this would go away. <laughs> and over the last two years, it hadn't gone away. So they now have to implement some regulations. That was literally their approach. Wow. So to hear a regulator say that, um, as somebody that's been in the crypto space now for you know, a good seven, eight years, there's a warm, fuzzy feeling that came yeah. inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's, while we're on the subject, getting onto the subject of, of uh, regulation, let's let's um, let's get back to South Africa now and talk about some of the things that have been happening locally. Now, the, the, there's this entity called the Prudential Authority, which I believe is part of the South African Reserve Bank. They've issued a practice note to local banks, um, in effect, as I understand it, to say that they should work with local crypto exchanges, and some of them have been reluctant to work with local crypto exchanges. In the past, we've seen some some crypto exchanges being debanked uh, by, by some local institutions. Um, does this change that? Um, and what does this practice note that the Prudential Authority has issued mean? What's the significance to the local market? Yeah, so I guess if you think about what's happened historically within the crypto space, is essentially crypto platforms have been discriminated against, mm-hmm. right? And you can understand why. If you're sitting in a bank's position, why take on this high-risk entity, right? I mean, everyone's known about sort of the money laundering allegations that happened within the crypto space. You've heard of MTI, you've heard of you yeah. know these disasters that have occurred. Um, that is sort of the dark side of crypto, right? It's not the the positive side. It's almost like sort of the internet and when it emerged, there was mm-hmm. all of this negative stuff that's happened. I mean, there's still negative stuff that happens uh, within the, the internet space. Mm-hmm. But overall, I mean, there's a big positive movement and there's a lot of really good players within the space. So instead of, you know, every bank just going out and saying, hey, listen, I mean, there's only one bank really in South Africa that is pro-crypto, it's Standard Bank. Mm -hmm. All the other banks really have sort of said, hey, this is not for us. But it's that asymmetric risk profile that exists where the bank carries a tremendous amount of risk if they take on a crypto platform that hasn't done sufficient due diligence on their customers, that hasn't right. you know, properly uh, checked funds that are coming into the platform and all the rest. So this note really is to say, hey, listen, banks, we've spoken to international counterparties. We don't think that's in the interest of the South African community for you to outward say, listen, we're not mm-hmm. taking you on as a crypto platform. Mm-hmm. Um, rather understand the business, evaluate the business just like you would evaluate every other business and make sort of a calculated 
um, guess on sort of because there's no regulations in place right now, but make a calculated guess on you know is this team is this company fit and proper to actually operate the business that they say they they operate? Mm-hmm. Um, do the background checks and then actually if they are doing everything correctly, bank the business um, because the alternative is that you get this black market that starts growing mm-hmm. and this underground market really right. um, where you know you've got crypto then changing hands and then there's fraud that occurs within that space and all the rest. So. By taking this approach, you land up getting ideally a, a healthier financial mm-hmm. system more broadly. So it's been a couple of weeks now since the Prudential Authority issued this practice note. Has there been any change in approach from the local banks or was it too early to know? I don't think anything happens quickly uh, with banking. No. <laughs> so unfortunately, no, I don't think anything's changed. I think we'll need to wait a good few months for okay. this to filter through. Uh, at this point in time, you've probably got new policies being drafted within banks mm-hmm. and then that'll filter down to uh, different banking partners mm-hmm. and different divisions within the banks. Uh, like I said, I mean, Standard Bank is the only bank that banks the large players in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Nedbank, FNB, um, go through the list really, Capitec, et cetera, they do not facilitate crypto banking and or any crypto-related activities. So you know, Standard Bank has got a market lead here. It's theirs to lose, really. Yeah. Why, why has Standard Bank taken a different approach to the other banks, do you think? I think they saw the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there was a couple team members there that said, hey, listen, all the other banks are saying no to this. Why? Oh, they just don't have the risk appetite. Let's understand the space. Mm. Now, Standard Bank's in a position where they actually can, you know, and we've been through this process with Standard Bank. It is an extremely tedious process and it is extremely um, extensive in mm-hmm. the sense that you're going through rounds and rounds of compliance checks. You're having everyone in your team background checked. They are scrutinizing wow. every deposit that you have. I mean, so Standard Bank's going to that degree to make sure that the platforms that they bank are in fact legitimate platforms. Mm -hmm. I only bank a handful of platforms in South Africa, right? So it's not to say that Standard Bank hasn't discriminated against, I mean, you would have read an article um, not too long ago around sort of how the arbitrage players were outraged that they got removed from the Standard Bank system. So that was Standard Bank essentially saying, we're not comfortable with this Mm -hmm. um, because it is in a bit of a gray zone uh, within South Africa's regulatory framework. Um, So it's not to say that the bank's perfect, Mm -hmm. but they've definitely done a lot more than the other banks that literally said, we're not touching this, we're not interested. And now they've got the in-house knowledge. Right, so they they put in the hard yards, but they're now winning the business. They're winning it, yeah. Mm, Interesting. So so just give me a background now on on where we are in terms of regulation more broadly in crypto in South Africa. I know there's been a lot of work done by the South African Reserve Bank. It's had various working groups, uh, working with industry, working with with sector players. Um, What is the current status in terms of the development of regulation? When are we likely to see something? Four years ago, when I started Revix, <laughs> I was told that regulation was around the corner. Right. We are still waiting on regulation today, so it's almost like speculating on crypto prices. Mm-hmm. You just don't know, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. My best guess is that we are three to six months away. and That's quite soon. That is quite soon, mm-hmm. um, at least of some sort of a draft regulatory framework. We have actively engaged with regulators. Uh, in fact, uh, the top players in South Africa have actually come together and engaged sort of in a uniform fashion with the South African Reserve Bank and with the FSCA to actually mm-hmm. say, listen, give us your problems. Tell mm-hmm. us whatever the issues are that you have and let us look at how we can address this. Because on the one side, the crypto platforms employ thousands of people in South Africa and these are high paying jobs. We need employment in South Africa. Let's foster innovation. Let's do that. And at the same time, we obviously need to build a financial system that is in the best interest of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do have a balancing act between sort of innovation and regulation. And we believe that we can sort of with the, the regulators build that framework mm-hmm. in South Africa. And so South Africa actually has the opportunity now since we haven't run out and sort of put very strict regulatory framework or a very strict regulatory framework in place that we actually can make this a crypto hub. Um, and that becomes then a DeFi or financial innovation hub. 
Um, I don't know if the regulators are looking at it that way. I mean, right now, I think there's this balancing act, certainly within the, uh, the financial surveillance department and the Saab, mm-hmm. um, on how do you manage exchange controls and cryptocurrencies? I mean, <laughs> a digital asset that doesn't really exist within borders and this you know, financial uh, constraint mm-hmm. or restriction really on moving money offshore, it's, it's a very hard thing to sort of balance. So I don't envy the regulators in having to actually deal with that. But that's really the big hurdle to get over. I think the other stuff in terms of, you know, making sure that every business is KYC'd and AML declines. I mean, it's stock standard. Mm-hmm. Most of the platforms are doing that. How do you custody custom assets? I mean, there's yeah. a, a tried and tested way on, on how exactly to do that. So it really does come down to, at the moment, a sort of that exchange control piece. How important is it to have rules in the space? If Once we have the regulations in place, um, what, what will it mean for the crypto industry in South Africa? Does it provide some sort of base where where the industry gets some gets an additional layer of credibility what, what, what is it ultimately going to mean so the, if you think back to what I mentioned earlier I mean we had all of these institutions that came to us and again we're a retail platform yeah. we're not we don't have a sales team we don't have a sales team going out to institutions looking for business these yeah. are people that came to us saying listen we've got loads of clients and these are big institutions as well we've got loads of clients that would love to to utilize your products. Um, we hear that you've got a JSE listed company behind you. We respect you. We believe that you know you do good business and you know you're a reputable, trusted, trusted business. Um, how do we work with you? And then it was just regulation and I guess the, the regulatory framework that was the limiting factor and essentially a fear out of losing their licenses or having their licenses um, impacted or fines yeah. coming that way. Yeah. So there's a very big opportunity, I think, in the sort of B2B or institutional space within South Africa. And at the same time, if you look at all the the issues that have emerged or the the problem players in the space, the likes of an MTI Mm -hmm. and the KG brothers as well. I mean, these could have been avoided if there was regulation in place. And this doesn't have to be heavy regulation, right? You don't have to go out um, as a regulatory body and completely stifle the growth of the industry with just, you know, a whole bunch of boxes that need to be ticked. Mm -hmm. But by putting very basic um, systems in place, like even just a registry in South Africa that outlines which crypto platforms are legitimate and which aren't, right. and some sort of criteria on how to determine that, that could be really valuable. So I think it's a net positive for the industry. And um, all the regulatory authorities globally that have been sort of front runners in the space, the likes of Singapore, uh, Switzerland, Germany, the UK to some degree, uh, they've now started to foster communities within the space and they've attracted talent from around the world. I do think we have the opportunity to do that. Uh, do I think that is the route that we are going? Unfortunately not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask about um, the, the crafting of the regulations. You say we're maybe six months out, maybe a bit longer. Um, are, you, are you happy with the way the regulation formulation process is going? Do you think the regulations that we're going to put in place here in South Africa are going to do the job? No, I, I don't think they'll do the job mm-hmm. of fostering innovation. I think they will regulate the space yeah. and they'll, I guess, make a few senior individuals feel comfortable that there is at least a regulatory uh, structure in place in South Africa and they'll protect consumers because ultimately what are regulations there for? They have, they're there to protect consumers and I, I think that's that's positive. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately though, if you're really looking longer term, I mean this space is far beyond just crypto. I right. mean crypto is where we are today. But if you start taking, let's say, real estate or title deeds even to, to homes and putting them on a blockchain, I mean that's a digital certificate. In a sense, that's a non-fungible token. That's an NFT. Uh, there needs to be regulations that think about that. I mean, to, to kind of give you um, some context, we were dealing with uh, two regulatory bodies, both European, uh, both regulatory bodies were sort of debating what does it mean to regulate smart contracts, mm-hmm. to regulate AI. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are the discussions that are happening internationally. In South Africa, we haven't really got around the fact that, hey, listen, you could have something that is not just a cryptocurrency on a blockchain. Mm-hmm. So we're still talking about crypto regulations instead of sort of digital asset regulations. 
Uh, so I think we've got a very long way to go on that front. I do think we should look further ahead. I think we should hire some phenomenal people mm -hmm. to lead this charge. And also I think regulators need to shift, certainly within the space that we're operating in, from being, uh, I guess, sort of traditional, uh, more sort of legal and finance focused to being more technologists, to being software developers, to actually understand code. Because I think that's where regulations are going to go. You're going to have uh, regulation that's built into code mm -hmm. and you need to be able to analyze that as well as understand it. Before we wrap, I want to talk about tax, uh, which is, I guess, always a controversial issue in the crypto space. Uh, obviously, the South African Revenue Service is looking at this market with keen interest. Um, what's the state of play right now in terms of SARS and its, its thinking around uh, uh, taxing crypto? Uh, um, what are, as an investor, are you actually obliged to tell the tax authorities at the moment? And what is the, what is the, are the tax authorities hoping to get out of the crypto market? So you as an individual are obliged to report all of your taxable gains, uh, that whether that is a capital gain, and that's dependent on how long you've actually held a cryptocurrency for. Um, if you've had taxable losses, you'll have to report those as well. Crypto is ring-fenced though, so mm -hmm. you can't offset losses in the crypto space to say gains that you've made in stocks. Okay. Uh, but ultimately, I mean, while SARS isn't requiring the likes of Revix or any of the other platforms to report to them just yet, this is likely to change in the future. I mean, if we're going into the regulated space, it's only a matter of time before SARS actually requires the crypto platform, certainly the regulated players in South Africa, to actually report back on where exactly uh, their customers' funds are coming from, uh, what is the gain or loss that's occurred on certain accounts and all the rest. Right now, in order for you to actually report your taxable gain, though, depending on how many platforms you're operating across, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a pretty tricky endeavor. Mm -hmm. um, if you're operating across a variety of different platforms, not only do you have to then get the transaction histories from each of those yeah. uh, different platforms, but you actually have different prices of Bitcoin across different platforms or different Ethereum prices or whatever the story mm -hmm. may be. That makes it pretty challenging. So there's no, I suppose, shock to anyone that's watching this that uh, there's this little dark secret in the crypto space and that's not many people pay tax. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that will change quite drastically. I would not I would not sit back in the South African context and expect SARS to do nothing around this. Mm -hmm. SARS are looking for money. Um, the legal framework is in place that you should be paying crypto taxes if you've made any gains. It's really not that much effort to actually just go and get those various statements together. I mean, we've actually launched a new service called Revix Tax. Yeah. Uh, you can come along to Revix Tax. It's uh, a rather nominal fee, uh, depending on sort of the amount that you've invested, but you can then go and get your calculated taxes worked get out for you. Yeah. Yeah. As I suppose many other financial institutions outside of the crypto space do already, you, you, you'll get an annual report from, from Discovery or your bank saying that you can simply submit to the revenue service as part of your tax return. I suppose the same thing is going to happen in crypto down the line. Without a doubt, yeah. it's just a matter of time. Yeah. And you definitely don't want to be on the other side here, right, where you haven't reported anything. Mm. And SARS then goes and does a, I don't know, deep dive into an exchange. And there's talk that some of the major exchanges uh, within the South African space and internationally as well. Mm. But, you know, you had the likes of the IRS in the US, they went into Coinbase. Um, they require documentation and information mm. and they're not scared to look back three, four years, right? right? And there's no way as a company that you could ever not disclose that. You're yeah. legally obliged, certainly if you're gonna pay in the regulated space, to disclose those gains. So just do the right thing. I don't think mm. doing the right thing now just means that you have, I guess, more sleep later on, less sleep this night. Yeah, yeah, so if you didn't pay tax three years ago, that could still come back to bite you. Unfortunately so, right? Mm. But you can obviously still figure out what exactly those gains are 
um, and you can offset those potentially against any present day losses and mm -hmm. that could then be something that you report to SARS and you sort it out. Mm -hmm. I think the worst thing to do is to say, hey, listen, I'm just not going to address this, put it under the, the rug and then it comes back to bite you. Rather address mm -hmm. it head on. The, the worst sort of, and I mean, I'm not going to give you tax advice, but the worst sort of thing that can happen here is that you do get a pretty significant penalty, depending again on your gain. Mm. Um, but that's still better than the other consequences. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Sean, fascinating discussion, as always. Uh, thank you so much for joining us in the studio. This has been episode one of our new uh, technology show here at Tech Central, TC Daily. If you've enjoyed this discussion as much as I have, please subscribe. You can do that on YouTube at youtube.com slash techcentral. Or why not subscribe to Tech Central's daily newsletter? You can find that at techcentral.co.za. You'll never miss a post, and you'll also get updates every morning in your box of the latest South African and international technology news. Sean, very much appreciate you coming to the studio. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I appreciate it.